Aloha, North Kohala. This is Holly Allgood here on Tutu's Talk Story on KNKRLP 96.1 FM Kohala. I am sitting across from one of my favorite people, Joy Vogelsang. And for those of you who don't know Joy, she is currently a co-owner of Kona Stories, the wonderful book store down in Keahoe in Kona. So, Joy, I'm delighted to have you here today. Thank you very much, Holly. I'm happy to be here. And I know you've had a very full and exciting life, even before Kona Stories. So tell us, first of all, where are you from? Where were you born? Uh, Well, I was actually born in Burlington, Iowa, on the uh, Mississippi River. But we didn't stay there long. We moved around a lot while I was growing up. Um, uh, My dad always found jobs that sounded better, and the grass was kind of always greener, so we... I don't even know if I can get the whole order for you. We moved from Burlington to Albany, Georgia, to Phoenix, Arizona, to Hendersonville, North Carolina, to Savannah, Georgia, to Phoenix, Arizona, to Charlottesville, North Carolina, to Reseda, California. And by that time, I went, and then I went to junior high school. Oh, my gosh. So (laughs) that must have been hard on you as a child. Well, I've thought about that. I think it winds up doing one of two things. It either makes you more uh, self-confident and outgoing, or it will really just do the opposite, you know, make you insecure and um, introverted. So I I think it can work either direction. Now, did your father work in a certain field, or were these all different kinds of jobs? Well, he sort of got into uh, uh, computers, electronics. That first job in Albany, Georgia, he worked on a computer for the uh, Air Force, and I remember still going to visit him. The computer room was probably bigger than my house, and the computers were up on 18-inch pedestals, and it was cold in there. They had to keep those computers really cold. And right now, I'm sure that whole computing power is in my back pocket. Absolutely, on your phone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you were definitely somebody who uh, came out more self-confident because it seems like uh, you've done so well in the rest of your life. Anything memorable about changing all those skills as you schools as you were growing up? Like I said, I think it just it kind of makes you more, you know, yes, you can go into a situation where you don't want to know what's going on, and you'll be just fine. Um, you know, and the worst that could happen isn't the worst that can happen. Well, there you go. <laughs> so after California, uh, did you decide to go to college? Yeah, uh, junior high and high school in California, although two different cities within Southern California. And then uh, I went to the University of Arizona in Tucson. It was uh, not a very... Um, Complicated decision. I wanted to go away from home, but not far enough away that I couldn't drive home on the, uh, for a holiday. So that uh, led me to uh, Arizona. Back then, it was much easier to get in-state tuition than it is these days. You couldn't, you couldn't go to school for a year and then wind up with in-state tuition the way I did back then. But uh, managed to do that. And, and growing up, was it kind of expected that you would go to college? It was kind of expected, although I was really the first, my, neither of my parents went to college, and, and um, uh, well, my, my, I had an aunt that went to college, but that was about the size of it. So it wasn't necessarily a family tradition, but it was sort of expected. It was pretty much expected, yeah. Were you a good student? Do you think that's the reason? Yeah, I was one of these people that, that you hate, that I could just 
I did well. I, you know, college, it was like, what's the least amount of work I can do and still get an A? And about half the time I got a B, and about half the time I got an A. So I <laughs> did pretty well without a lot of effort, right. huh? Mm -hmm. I took advantage of college and did my, I, I believe one should party in college and one should explore all kinds of things in college. And and uh, so I had a good time and did and, that. And, and still got a good education. And still got a good education, yeah. What did you study? Uh, I, I switched from humanities to business because I didn't want to learn another language. So I'm sounding lazy as I go through this whole thing, aren't I? <laughs> Not um, really. So I switched to business school because I just didn't want to have to become learn. They had you had to take three years of Spanish or three years of a language. I'm like, uh, no. So I switched to business. Uh, yeah. And what did you do after you left college? Um, I got a job with uh, Control Data in Minneapolis, which doesn't exist anymore. Worked there for about a year and realized that a long-term career with them was going to wind up staying in Minneapolis, which, by the way, is a fabulous city. And I wound up moving back there again later in my career. And if I was going to live anywhere cold, Minneapolis is great. Um, what did you like about Minneapolis? Oh, my gosh. There's so much, so many theater uh, and art museums and... So a lot of cultural out, And outdoor activities, too. You know, the lakes and the... the Bikes and the, I mean, I, it's it's just a wonderful, wonderful place, yeah. So where'd you go next? So I just quit. When you're young, you don't worry about things like that. And I moved back to Arizona and wound up getting a job with uh, what was then the Sperry Corporation in Phoenix. Um, and I stayed with them for quite a while, uh, mostly because I kept getting moved to different areas. I was in human resources, by the way. Kept getting to move to different areas from, um, uh, from recruitment to employee relations to benefits to all kinds of different things. So for those of listeners out there that really don't understand what it means to work in human resources in a big corporation, can you say a little bit more about that? Oh, gosh. Um, well, it's, it's easier to explain at the lower levels. You know, it's easier to say recruitment. You know, Sperry hired a lot of engineers. And I went to college campuses and interviewed fresh-faced, newly scrubbed engineers. Had to take notes in between every interviews because sometimes they all looked alike. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, helped get them hired onto the company to design flight control systems. Mm -hmm. uh, employee relations, you... Uh, listen to um, managers complain about employees and employees complain about managers and try to resolve those disputes and come up with policies and uh, those kinds of things. Um, what else? Benefits is pretty much how it sounds. And I might detour there because I know Holly's going to go into f on, you know, what influences and things. One of the luckiest breaks I ever had was when I was 28, I was a benefits supervisor. And these guys, they were almost all guys, would come in and they say, I'm going to retire. Would you tell me what my retirement benefit's going to be? And this is back when that you would have a uh, defined pension that would come to you from the company. And I would do the calculation and they would look at it and they would say, that's all. And I would say, you do have other savings, don't you? And they would look at me like I was from Mars. So the first lesson I learned was save early and often. Um, 
And then the second thing that would happen is I would say, so what are you going to do in your retirement? And they would say, oh, my wife has lots of things for me to do around the house. And I would think, and what are you going to do next month? And they usually did not have any kind of idea whatsoever. So that was the second thing I learned at 28. Try not to define yourself only by your job and try to have other kind of interests that you might want to go to at some time in the future. Mm-hmm. Good advice. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I even set up, I was kind of proud of it, I even set up a uh, kind of a pre-retirement planning program mm-hmm. for uh, people when they hit 55 to start thinking about what were they going to do when they transition to um, to retirement, just, not just mm-hmm. financially, but life planning and personal planning and health and mm-hmm. and all kind of those other things. And then because I was the benefit supervisor, I got to take it myself. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> well, it and gave now, me a jump start on all that, yeah. It just seems like people are retiring so much later and living so much longer. Mm-hmm. So that's even more of an issue now, I, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Great. Anything else about human resources that... Any behind-the-scenes things you think the listeners might want to know? Oh, you know, I, it's it's has changed a lot. I mean, I think the corporate world is much, much more high-pressure now. Um, you know, even then, I would take a vacation, and I'm like, I'm not checking in on vacation. And the guys I work with would take their computers with them and check in all the time. And I'm like, nope, I'm sorry. If you're that indispensable, you're doing a crummy job. Um, but now I think... Even, no matter what, I think it would be almost impossible to, to do that. Uh, I think it's much more high pressure. Um, I think one good rule of thumb in a corporation is the higher up you're promoted, the less you're able to describe what you actually do. <laughs> um, I, um, I went from uh, – so I was in Phoenix for quite a while and, and um, uh, moved to Albuquerque for a while. And then after As part it, of your work? Yeah, yeah, still, still, uh, still human resources. I want to be in the director of um, what was actually the largest private employer in New Mexico for that uh, division. And again, so if you say, what does the director of human resources do? I kind of couldn't hardly describe it. I mean, at the end of the day, you don't necessarily feel like you accomplish much. Um, I liked it. I wouldn't say I, you know, loved it or uh, or hated it, but it was. It was fun. It was usually fun. And it's mostly, again, problem solving and strategizing and things that you can't quite put your finger on. Dealing with people. Dealing with people. But actually more, once you start getting to the higher levels, it's really more com- uh, more uh, whole enterprise oriented. Mm-hmm. So if you say in five years we want the company to move in this direction, well, how are we going to make sure that we've got the skills to do that and... and um, to attract the right people and to train the right people and to retain the right people. Mm-hmm. So who was that a different company? No, no, still. Well, by this time, Sperry had been acquired by Honeywell, so it was mm-hmm. now Honeywell. Mm-hmm. But yes, it was the same company. Mm-hmm. And what happened from there? Uh, from there, I was offered a job still with Honeywell to for in uh, Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. So I was the director and then later the vice president of HR for the Asia-Pacific region of uh, Honeywell. Well, what was that like for someone who was born in Iowa to live in Hong Kong for a while? Well, you know, back to the moving around. It was just fine. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a, it, it's adjustment, and, and um, you know, because everything's different. Uh, part of the definition of culture, I did a lot of research and study about culture um, at the time, and 
one of the things truly about culture is it's the things you never think about. Like, give us an example. Um, paper clips. The paper clips are different in Hong Kong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, you know, you, you, the, the people, I'll often hear um, Westerners complain when they, when they walk around Asia that, you know, people bump into them on the streets, and that's so rude. Well, it's not rude. That is a spatial difference. Mm-hmm. It's okay to bump into somebody because mm-hmm. there's so many people and you know you're going to bump into people. Um, and here we wouldn't think about the fact that, you know, I don't, you don't bump into people on the street. That's just something you don't think about. Right, yes. Mm-hmm. And there you don't think about it because you do bump into people on the street. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a cultural difference. Right. So things, as you say, if you're not experiencing them, you probably aren't going to guess right as to what they are. Right, and you're going to think somebody's being rude when they're not. That's mm-hmm. just how it is. This is Holly Allgood. You're listening to Tutu's Talk Story here on KNKR LP 96.1 FM Kohala. I'm here today with Joy Vogelsang. And if you have any questions or comments for or to Joy, our number here is 884-KNKR or 884-5657. We'll be back with more conversation, but now for a station break. Plastic recycling is available to North Kohala thanks to efforts of the people of Lava Roots, Waste Stream, and the Kohala Village Hub. On the first Saturday of each month, clean plastics will be collected in the Hub parking lot from 10 a.m. to noon and transported to Pune Precious Plastics by volunteer drivers. We will be accepting only clean, sorted number one, two, four, and five plastic with labels removed. A mixture of vegetable oil and baking soda can be used to remove the labels. All dirty plastic will be refused. Volunteers, trucks, and donations are needed to sustain this effort. Please email lavaroots at gmail.com or donate directly at the North Kohala Community Resource Center. For more information about this grassroots effort, see the Puna Precious Plastics Facebook page. Mahalo, and we'll see you March 7th. This is Isla Allgood of Women's Voices. Tune in on Monday and Wednesday from 4 till 6 p.m. to listen to women from around the world, around Hawaii, songs with positive and empowering messages on KNKRLP 96.1 FM. Monday and Wednesday, 4 to 6 p.m. Aloha, North Kohala. It's Holly Allgood, back with Tutu's Talk Story here on KNKR LP 96.1 FM Kohala, and my great guest today, who is Joy Vogelsang. So, Joy, you were telling us about living in Hong Kong. Any stories? Oh, gosh, living in Hong Kong. Um, I lived in Hong Kong for five years, and um, I often get asked, did you learn the language, to which I usually say, it's really, really hard. Uh, (laughs) Cantonese... um, is a tonal language. They have seven tones. So like the word ma can mean seven different things. And it's not like it's a conjugation of, you know, go. It's like horse versus ceiling. You know, it's completely different words. Mm-hmm. So it's hard. Um, 
And I, I traveled a lot. When I lived in Hong Kong, I was away from home over 50% of all nights, um, including weekends, because it's a long ways to get everywhere. In Asia Pacific, um, I would go from Korea to New Zealand to India. Mm. And then, of course, had to come back to the mainland once in a while and go to um, Europe occasionally and that sort of thing. So I would just travel a lot, which does get really, really old. Um, but let's see, stories about Hong Kong. Uh, whenever it rained, you could always look out the window and tell if it was a weekend or a day or a weekday. Because if it was a weekday, it was Chinese people and they all had black umbrellas. And if it was Sunday, it was the Filipino servants and they all had multicolored umbrellas. <laughs> um, which is just kind of another cultural thing. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. And it was even interesting. You could go from Hong Kong, which was British at the time, mm -hmm. to Macau, which was Portuguese. And mm -hmm. uh, just the style of dress and everything was incredibly different from the influence of the, the Portuguese versus the influence of the British. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, my heart breaks now for Hong Kong. They're going through such, uh, such a tough time, and I, I just don't see any happy endings. Mm -hmm. To that story right now. Um, I was there during the handover, which was kind of spectacular. Um, Can you say more? What does that mean, the handover? The handover is when the uh, British uh, returned Hong Kong to Chinese sovereignty. Um, and was there something visible to see, or was that? Oh, well, I mean, it was, there was, they, I, I can't ever watch fireworks without thinking of the fireworks. I mean, the British did spectacular fireworks one night, and then of course the next night the Chinese had to try to outdo the British fireworks the next night. Um, and so, uh, so the only thing really see, no, there was no tangible change at the time. It's just more ever since then, this has been, this was 1998. So ever since then the Chinese have kind of been chipping away at the, what was supposed to be guaranteed freedoms in Hong Kong. And they've just been slowly kind of nibbling away and uh, the recent protests are just kind of a, okay, you've done enough nibbling away and the people are trying to draw a line in the sand. But um. So what was that like? I think a lot of us hear about jet setters like you that are going from Hong Kong to New Zealand to Korea. What, what was that like? Um, well, it's tiring. <laughs> um, you, you learn to nap on a plane. If you don't, you're silly. You need to train yourself to nap on a plane. Um, you learn to pack. Uh, one of my best packing accomplishments was I went from Hong Kong to Sydney to Minneapolis in January and had one suitcase. Mm -hmm. um, I really had to plan that one because it's summer in Sydney and it's winter in Minneapolis, but I did it. So yeah, you would often be gone for three weeks at a time. Uh, I was there in Hong Kong with my partner and so she had to kind of hold down the fort and um, not that there was much fort to hold down, but, um, you know, so you have that kind of separation to deal with. What kind of a place did you live in? <laughs> uh, the company rented me a, uh, a, a flat. However, it was, uh, oh, probably a 1,800-square-foot apartment overlooking Hong Kong Harbor. Uh, so it didn't suck. Sounds nice. Uh, yeah, it was, it was... The amount of money they spent on that apartment was just insane. Um, but, yeah, it was gorgeous. Uh, uh, I will never have a view to rival that. Even here in Hawaii, it's hard to rival a view looking out over Hong Kong Harbor. 
And uh, so it sounds like you had a nice place to live. You traveled a lot. And what did you do when you went to these other places? Um, ate a lot of great food. Ashley, here's uh, one funny story. I remember once we went up to uh, Shanghai and the, the local manager took us out to lunch. And we went to, uh, it was a hotel restaurant, but like a two to three star hotel. You know, lo- linoleum tables and linoleum floor and that kind of thing. And I'm pretty sure that the two or three of us with him were the only um, white people in the place. And there were TVs playing uh, MTV music. And I still remember on, on came Madonna singing Like a Virgin, and I'm sitting there in Shanghai. And he ordered, um, he ordered uh, frog soup because I think he wanted to test us to see if he could gross us out with the frog soup. And so I had to tell him about going back to visit Grandpa in Iowa, and he would, shoot, he would bring home frog legs, and we fried up frog legs. And so <laughs> I think he was very disappointed that he couldn't upset me with the um, frog leg frog soup. Leg soup. Mm-hmm. Actually, I should tell you what you, my best cultural mashup story. Hong Kong is such a cultural mashup place. So I was still living in... Uh, Albuquerque, and I was going. They were going to have. They were having a big conference, and I haven't started the job yet. So, but my new boss wanted me to come over and go to this conference. And it was all the country heads of the different countries in Asia, and they'd come to Hong Kong for this meeting. So they decide to go out to Mexican food in, in Hong, Hong Kong, Kong, and I'm visiting from New Mexico. So <laughs> I, it's like, okay. So we're sitting around the table, and at the table is my boss, who is. Greek, but born and raised in South Africa, a Canadian, I think there was one other American, a German, a Chinese guy, an Australian, a Kiwi, Taiwanese guy, a Japanese guy, who else am I? Oh, the head of Singapore was from from Egypt, and one other South African. And in the middle of the meal, the Filipino band starts playing the beer barrel polka. <laughs> and that's when you're like, I, it's probably one of the most surreal experiences I've, I've ever had. And, and it's kind of the definition of cultural mashup. How was the food? At that particular restaurant? Yeah. It was okay. It oh, wasn't bad. Margarita's yeah. really, really good. That's the important <laughs> part. So what after Hong Kong? Uh, let's see. After Hong Kong, I wound up moving back to Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Same um, company? Same company still. Um, and again, I wound up, people will ask, why did you stay with them? Well, because they kept promoting me and mm-hmm. paying me more money and giving me different jobs. So I didn't get bored. Mm-hmm. Uh, this time in Minneapolis, it was very nice because um, I was high enough up in the company that I got to have an underground heated parking space. Nice. When I drove into work. <laughs> so that took a lot of that. Uh, and if enough of the even higher up people were out of town, they washed my car about once a month. So it was... Uh, <laughs> It was really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so by this time, I had I was getting close to I um, back when I was 28. I had set a long-term uh, goal to be able to uh, quit slash retire when I was 45. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had been uh, conscientiously um, saving my money and planning towards that since that time. Um, and. Uh, so when that was coming up, I wound up um, negotiating myself a severance package so that I could go ahead and quit and retire at 45. Mm-hmm. We were probably there for another 
how long were we in Minneapolis? Probably another three, four years? Four years must have been. Five years. Five years in Minneapolis again that time. Mm-hmm. And then you left at age 45? Yeah. And then what did you do? Well, that's just it. Despite all this planning, I still didn't know what I wanted to do next. Mm-hmm. Um, so we knew we didn't want to live in Minneapolis, so we just decided to do a kind of did a triangulation. We didn't want to live in any hardcore red states. Um, I wanted to be relatively close to the city because I like the cultural stuff. Uh, my partner liked horses, so we had to be somewhere where we could afford horse property. So we wound up uh, outside of Sacramento in California. And, um, and I was still trying to decide what, what else do I want to do next. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just wanted on a whim, I cut well, the thing I like, seemed to be most attracted to is books. So I went to work part-time for Borders. Mm-hmm. And um, just to see how I would like it. Mm-hmm. And I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, wound up switching from Borders to Barnes & Noble. Continued to like it well, well enough that I went ahead and switched to full-time. Uh, so then we move on to more of the sad part of the story. About this time, my partner um, uh, contracted ovarian cancer. Mm. And kind of made it through the first batch, if you will, and operation and chemo and all that good stuff. And after about two years, the cancer recurred. And she died in 2005. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, well, you know, it death sucks. <laughs> That's about the only, there's no other thing to say about it. Um, and so at which point I knew I didn't want to have horses. Uh, I, she was the horse person. If To have horses and not be a horse person is to become an indentured servant. Yeah, well, and you had a, a full-time job now. Well, right, but I didn't have to have a full-time job. But mm-hmm. I didn't want my full-time job to be horses. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, about, and I, but I had promised myself, I, and everybody advises you, and I think it's good advice that, uh, for the death of somebody that major that's really going to upend your life, wait about a year before you make any major decisions. Mm-hmm. So I was coming up on about the 10-month mark, and um, I got this email from, from who is my now, spoiler alert, who is my now business partner, Brenda. She had moved here to um, Kona and was trying to decide what she wanted to do. And uh, this was 2006, and back then you sent emails out to everybody. Mm-hmm, said, mm-hmm. hi, guys, this is what I'm doing in Kona. And mm-hmm. she said, I think I might like to have a bookstore. Um, and I couldn't hit reply quick enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, Brenda and I were, we were friends, but, um, you know, acquaintances to friends, and we weren't super close. We'd actually met in a book club in Barnes & Noble in, in California. Oh, isn't that funny? Yeah. And... Uh, so uh, I said, well, that's good. That sounds like a good plan. <laughs> and so that's kind of how I happened to land here. We are talking with Joy Vogelsang, who is a part owner of Kona Stories, a beautiful bookstore down in Cuyahoga. You're listening to this on Tutu's Talk Story on KNKR LP 96.1 FM Kohala. We're going to have a little station break, and then we'll be back with... Kona Stories and Joy Stories. Golfer or not, no matter, 
You and or your business can still support North Kohala Community Resource Center's third annual golf tournament at Mauna Kea Resort's Hapuna Golf Course on Saturday, March 14th. Sponsor a hole and promote your business. Sponsor tournament expenses. Donate prizes. Play. Your contribution will help NKCRC continue its important work to support more than 80 projects that help the community thrive. Visit northkohala.org or call 889-5523 to join us. Aloha, this is Mikel Anna Carillo and Ayla Allgood. And we would love to invite you to tune in to Intuitive Talk Story. Join us on the second Wednesday of the month from 3 to 4 p.m. We will be exploring tools and techniques for joyful living and, and beyond. beyond. Aloha, North Kohala. This is Tutu's Talk Story. Holly Allgood and my special guest today is Joy Vogelsang. And we're going to hear how is it that she came to Hawaii and became co-owner of Kona Stories. <laughs> Uh, well, so um, Brenda had sent out the email saying that she thought she'd like to start a bookstore, and I said, okay. Um, and so we just started talking and planning from there. And um, let's see. She probably, we probably started talking in um, November, December of 2005, and we opened Kona Stories in November of 2006. So you've been in business for 14 years. Mm -hmm. Wow. So how did it come about? Tell us what, you know, so when did you get here? Uh, I got here like in a, uh, well, it was it, it was an interesting transition, um, if only because, of course, I had gone through the whole, you know, I had, I, you know, was grieving and I got horses to get rid of and I had five-acre horse property to get rid of and I have all the, that stuff, and then um, uh, meanwhile, back at the ranch in the winter of that same year, my dad was seriously ill with cancer as well. Um, Brenda and I had planned to go to a book conference in January to learn something about the book business, since um, Brenda had never even run a cash register before. <laughs> um, let alone, and I, it had been high school since I'd, well, not high school, it had been college since I'd run a cash register. Um, so, but meanwhile, in January, my father passed away. Mm. And uh, so, but we still went to, wound up going to the book conference. And, um, and I came over here in July and got a house. And we had a terrible time finding a, um, I think the hardest part in terms of the practical aspects was finding a, uh, location. Mm -hmm. um, we're in Keaho Shopping Center now, and we actually wanted to be there initially. But the wise people at Bishop um, didn't even want to talk to us. I think they thought two squirrely women from the mainland don't know what they're doing. We're not going to waste our time with them. Um, they wouldn't even show us one space because they were storing boxes in it. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's a good reason not to show prime real, 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 real estate. Real estate. Mm -hmm. So we wound up up at Mango Court, which is a lovely, in uh, kind of Liu, for, mm -hmm. um, uh, which was a lovely location, but it just didn't have the traffic. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So anyway, it gets it was a lot. It was a lot of learning. Um, mm-hmm. You know, everything from um, what kind of computer do you need to what kind of uh, point of software, point of sale system do you need to um, how do you buy your initial inventory, which was actually kind of fun. They um, there are distributors that will that cover all the publishers, and if you say this is my budget and I could you give me a recommended list of what books to buy for my opening inventory? And let's say, okay, well, how many foot shelves, how, how many foot feet of which kind of books do you want? Oh, all right, I want five feet worth of political science books, and I want 12 feet worth of science fiction. It's, so you're buying books by the foot. You Well, then they send you the list. Mm-hmm. So then you go through the list and say, no, I don't, nobody's going to want this and nobody's going to want that. And um, Brenda and I did agree at the outset that we would, um, we would sell any books that people wanted to buy, that we would be equal opportunity. We would try not to have a political agenda. However, we each allowed ourselves one author that we would refuse to shelve under any circumstances or even refuse to order. So my author that I just refused to either order or shelve no matter what was Ann Coulter. Um, and so I poured over this list of books and all the books arrive and you're all excited and it's like Christmas and you're opening the books and putting them on the shelves, arranging things. And so of course, lo and behold, what do I pull out of the box? One Ann Coulter title. I missed it on the bloody list. So we were getting things all set up for the store and we had a lovely, um, pot that we were going to put a plant in and put outside the store. And I was just so angry about this book. And I said, ah, I just, but I hate to just throw it away. And Brenda's like, why don't we put it in the plant? <laughs> so we used my, my accidental Ann Coulter book for fertilizer for our plant that was outside the store at Mango Court. The plant is now at my house. It's doing very, very well. <laughs> I will happy to say her book was excellent fertilizer. Oh. Um, so yeah, so it was very exciting. Uh, but again, you learn things. We had this great idea for a kind of a bamboo ceiling instead of the usual um, sort of acoustic ceiling tiles. But then of course we find out the fire department didn't like that, so we had to take them all down again and put um, fire suppressant on it. And then was the big earthquake in October, and so they all kind of fell down again. So we had to put them up a third time. Um, yeah. And so it sounds like you decided to move. From Mango Court because it was low, tra- just a low, low traffic yeah, area. Yeah, just not enough traffic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, it, and um, KO Shopping Center changed management and changed pro- asset managers with, uh, with Kamehameha Schools. And so they were, and we had a track record at that point. They finally decided we weren't just two squirrely women from the mainland that, you know, they could probably talk to us and, and, uh, and so, yeah, we... How, how long were you at Mango Court? Four years. Four years. So that's a good amount of time. Yeah. And, and so traffic is better at... at uh, oh, yeah, much, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, the hard part with a business like ours is we really need both tourists and locals. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think throughout the island, but it's hard to get find spots that both kinds of people will go to. Mm-hmm. You know, in Kona, the the... Locals don't want to go down to Ali'i Drive, and the tourists won't find you if you're up in, you know, the new industrial area. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to find spots that um, 
That you get both the, that you get both kinds yeah. of traffic, yeah. So for people who may not have visited you, what what can they expect if they walk into your bookstore? Oh well, the big attraction and the number one item in our marketing budget at the bookstore are the Kona Stories cats. Mm-hmm. You, I would have never guessed what a draw these animals are. Uh, we do have three cats. They're very friendly. They're very cute. Um, People will come by in the morning and say, oh, I saw them at night. I had to come back just to see the cats. Mm. We have people that come once a year, and they come into the store to see the cats. Um, Isn't that funny? It's hysterical. I've met people at cocktail parties, and they say, oh, I know your cats. And I want to say, well, then you know me because I'm here all the whole flipping time. <laughs> but, but they know the cats. But they know the cats. They don't know mm-hmm. me. Um, so that's the first thing you will probably find. Mm-hmm. And um, you will find... Um, I think we have an, people tell me almost every day that we have an inviting bookstore and then it feels Mm -hmm. warm and friendly and fuzzy. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, We have all kinds of books, mostly new, a few used, um, kids books, teen books, adult books, new age books, uh, history books. um, What category is your bestseller? Oh, general fiction. General well, fiction. my number one best-selling book, the only book I was sold by color is the Blue Book, mm-hmm. which, of course, is the Big Island Revealed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we probably do sell the most. Well, gen- we still sell general fiction the most. Mm-hmm. After that is probably um, uh, kids' Hawaiian books. Grandma and Grandpa or Mom and Dad always want to take some Hawaiian story book back to the, back to the grandkids back home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what have been your biggest lessons learned about opening a business in Hawaii? I think I see a lot of people don't make it past four years. Uh, well, uh, well, you can thank Honeywell for the fact that we made it past four years. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it helps to have some some savings that can kind of carry you over some tough times. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, the cats. Well, sure, they draw people in. Um, so, I mean, I think the main thing is, well, I guess obstinacy would be one <laughs> trait. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brenda and I can both be fairly stubborn mm-hmm. and uh, not wanting to admit defeat. And then it also helps to have a um, savings cushion that you can kind of ride at some of the more difficult times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what have I learned? I'll say one thing in general I, that I've learned. Hawaii, or Hawaii in general has taught me that I can um, um, really like and respect people that I also think hold opinions that I think are just crazy, insane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. But I really <laughs> like and I can still really like and respect that person, even mm-hmm. though I think they have a particular idea mm-hmm. that I think is mm-hmm. nuts. So... Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, which I think is a wonderful lesson, mm-hmm. and I'm very happy that um, I don't know if it was Hawaii or retail or the combination, but I <laughs> but I've kind of learned that I used to not uh, not tolerate uh, mm-hmm. things that I thought were outside uh, my personal reality. Well, good for you. Anything else in terms of lessons learned coming to Hawaii? Um, well, see, in here I was going to segue back to the bookstore. Um, you know, I often, people will often say, oh, I could never work retail, and I just want to say, yeah, but books are different. People never go into a bookstore in a bad mood. Huh. 
You may go into Walmart in a bad mood. You may go into the grocery store in a bad mood. Mm-hmm. You certainly go into the post office in a bad mood sometimes. <laughs> but you never go into the bookstore in a bad mood. Mm-hmm. And if they do, they usually find a cat and pet the cat, and then they're in a good mood. <laughs> um, so it's it's great. And mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, I, um, you know, probably the best thing is I don't know of any other job that every single day at least three people uh, either compliment me or thank me for the job I've done. Oh, nice. Now, how they say that is, I love your store, mm-hmm. or this is really nice, but, you know, what they're essentially, the, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. essentially, uh, at minimum, three times a day. So you get lots of positive oh, feedback. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, isn't that wonderful? It is. I'm it's glad it's to great. It's, the, it's terrific. I, mm-hmm. I don't hardly know of any other job. Do you mm-hmm. get that in your jobs, Holly? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not three times a day. Not three times a day. <laughs> no, but I, I, I try to tell the people I work with that. Good. So I know you do things other than the bookstore. I, I know that you've been very involved with some nonprofits. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I was on the I was the board at the Donkey Mill Art Center in uh, Hualuoa for. We were trying to figure it up when I was leaving, and I, it was either six or seven years, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. I never did sit down and um, mm-hmm. get the actual number. Um, Donkey Mill is a really fun place. If anybody's uh, never been, you should go. You should check it out. Um, and can you say what it is? Sure. Um, they do arts uh, education and. I'll even say availability for all ages. Mm-hmm. They have some great cakey programs, particularly in the summer and summer breaks and after school. They actually do outreach into schools and do cakey programs. They have regular adult learning art classes, um, ceramics, printmaking, metalworking, drawing, watercolors, um, just some really terrific stuff. They do art exhibits and uh, juried shows a couple times a year. Right now there's a show up about... Um, the influence of Kamehameha to the present day. Um, they, it's just, it's just really, you know, I think art is important for everybody at all ages to help kind of access, um, all, all at, uh, express and access all aspects of their personality. Um, coming so, up, I'll do a little plug for them. Mm-hmm. Coming up the 29th of February, they have a, their annual art auction. Mm-hmm. At uh, it's it's held at the BMW Center in. Uh, in Kona, so check out their upcoming art auction. We are talking to Joy Vogelsang, a, a part owner of Kona Stories down in Cuyahoga, and we'll be back right after the station break. DJ Annalisa Remix, Bisayan Budot. Tagalog Larawang Kupas. And to these hits, Lane and Dub. Only here, be nice to hits. Every Thursday, 11 to 1. Dito sa KNKRLP 96.1 FM. Kuhalas. Okay. <laughs> The Hawaii Department of Water Supplies Keiki Water Conservation Poster Contest is open to all Big Island school children enrolled in kindergarten through fifth grade. This free contest aims to highlight the importance of water conservation and why drinking water supplies must be protected and preserved. 
March 13, 2020 is the deadline to submit an original artwork illustrating the Conserve to Preserve theme. For more information, go to the Department of Water Services website, hawaiidws.org, or call 961-8050. That's 961-8050. Aloha, North Kohala. We're back with Tutu's Talk Story here on KNKRLP 96.1 FM Kohala. I want to remind everybody we're here today with Joy Vogelsang, who is one of the owners of Kona Stories. And if you have any questions or comments for Joy, you can call us at area code 808-884-KNKR or 884-5657. So Joy, one of the things we were talking about on break was the fact that you, you were talking about the donkey mill and that you were on the uh, their board of directors. It's a nonprofit. And can you say a little bit more about that? Because I know, I know most of the nonprofits that I interact with really need board members, and it seems to be on the not on the rise, but in the opposite direction. Yeah, well, and it's hard. I don't know if Hawaii really is different, but it seems like there's just tons of nonprofits around. So 10,000 in tons. Hawaii. Are there really 10,000? Yeah. Holy mm-hmm. guacamole. Um, so, yeah, and uh, by definition, a nonprofit needs to have a board of directors. So, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of responsibility, which I think is why people shy away from it. Um, you know, it's also very rewarding to say, you know, I feel like I was on the board at the Donkey Mill during a time where they, they got through some pretty rough patches and, and came out the other side much more positively. So it's, it uh, is also really um, rewarding, rewarding a very strong sense of accomplishment mm-hmm. um, to do that. So, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to be silly enough to stay on for six or seven years like I did. Um, but I do recommend it. It's a great way to give back to a community and to be integrated with the community. It's a great way to expand your circle of people you know and friends and, and uh, just expand your life experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, if there's something that you like. And it's a good way to kind of even test things out. You know, well, I think I'm interested in this, but I don't really know. You don't necessarily have to jump on the board. You could just start volunteering. And if you like the organization, then sure, do do couple years on the board. Mm-hmm. It, um, mm-hmm. It'll help you learn a whole new set of things. Absolutely. Well, while we're talking about that, you have any other life advice? You've had a very long, rich, full life. Well, Holly was making me think about this over the last couple of days. And, um, you know, I do think it's important to be flexible and experiment. But I think the number one thing is to start with a solid base of great habits. Mm from which to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think of things like, you know, saving early and often and exercising every day, all the boring stuff. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you, when you're younger, you set a really solid habit of these things, Mm -hmm. then it'll serve you well for when you go off and experiment and you fail or don't, or succeed, then you've still got that solid base. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, whether it's of of your health or whether it's of your savings or maintaining your friendships, Mm -hmm. those kind of things. Mm -hmm. I think that's good advice. I think there's also more study, more and more studies coming out about habits. Habits. And how, how to break bad habits, how to make good habits, but that it, it, it are the habits that sustain us. Yeah. So very good advice. So Joy, before we end today, uh, can you tell us, I know Kona Stories does more than sell books. I know you have quite a few programs. Can you share with the oh, public? Oh, gosh. We, you know, we, 
average about 70 events a year. Oh, my goodness. And it's really just Brenda and I um, and a couple part-time people. So, And we have 70 events a year. We do an author event uh, the first Tuesday of every month, Words and Wine, and we feature three local authors. It's almost always somebody, uh, most of the authors are from around the island, not just Kona. We get Javi authors, we get Waimea authors, we get um, Puna, Kona, or Puna Hilo authors, um, occasional visiting authors. In fact, um, in March, we've got an author coming from California who wrote a Mediterranean cookbook. Um, we do three different book clubs. We have fiction, we have nonfiction, and we have one that rotates between travel, classic, and memoir. Um, so, you know, we, and we have lots of folks that come to these events. Heck, the author event gets 50, 60 people regularly, um, which, if you know anything about author events, that's a lot. <laughs> yes. For somebody that's not, you know, Janet mm-hmm. Ivanovich or John Grisham, that's a lot of people to come to a book event. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we do other things during the year. You know, we always have, uh, you can take your picture with the Grinch at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Between Thanksgiving and Christmas, photos with the Grinch, sangria on Saturdays, um, just fun things like that. So we really look at it as a community space, um, not a retail space. Um there's an old uh, Neil Gaiman quote from American Gods. It says, you know, a town's not a town without a bookstore. It may call itself a town, but if it doesn't have a bookstore, it's not fooling a soul. <laughs> um, and I just, I, I believe that deeply, and I, and I feel like it's, uh, I think we make a contribution to the community mm-hmm. just, by, just by being around. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, one of the things you hear is do what you love, and it sounds like it's something you really love. I do, yeah. Do as you love, but have a fallback plan. (laughs) Have those good habits to fall back on. Absolutely, absolutely. So if people want to know more about your events, how could they learn about them? Uh, Our website is konastories.com, and we're on the usual Facebook and Instagram. Mm -hmm. Uh, The cats even have their own Instagram page, (laughs) Kona Stories Cats. Uh Um, (laughs) I know, what can I say? Um, Two of the two of the cats are new. They've only been with us about two months. They're only about seven months old. So Aww. they're yes, they're very entertaining. Uh, so yeah, those are the usual. Or you can call us. Mm-hmm. Um, am I allowed to give a phone number? Sure. Eight zero eight three two four zero three five zero. It's Kona Stories, Kalo yeah. Shopping Center. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you also have quite an interesting newsletter. Oh yeah, I do a newsletter once a week. Um, Is it once a week? Yes, once a week. Wow. Uh, where I talk about what our events are. I, you know, I rarely, when they, you know, you use these services to put your email together, I say, well, have them come to your sale. It's like, well, no, I don't, that's not what's in my newsletter. What's in my newsletter is just the events and the book clubs and, and a few links to some interesting thing going on in the, in the book business and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I saw today they've opened a new museum in Washington, D.C., dedicated to words and language. Mm-hmm. Isn't that great? I want to go. So is it books or what? what's it? It's I, all kinds of words and language. All kinds of words and language. I don't know, I haven't language. been yet. I'll come back after, yeah. Yeah. after I manage to go and tell you all about it. Well, it sounds fascinating. I remember, I remember we went to New York. They have a television museum, and someone wanted me to meet them there, and I thought, Tele- it sounds so boring, a television museum. Yeah. But it actually was quite fascinating. Yeah. So I'll be anxious to hear what the words museum is about yeah 
Yeah. So if somebody, how would somebody uh, get on your newsletter? Oh, the easiest way is probably just to go to the website, KonaStories.com. There's a sign-up link for the, um, for the email there. And are your book clubs open to everyone? Book clubs are open. Uh, let's see, last night, book club, we talked about uh, the book Whiskey When You're, We're Dry. And we had two new people that came to that group. Mm-hmm. So you kind of float in and out. It's not like you have to sign up or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't even have to get your book at Kona Stories. You can get it at the library and read it and just come down and talk about it. So um, it sounds like you're very easy. We try to make it simple. We're not one mm-hmm. of those book clubs that like, what do you mean you didn't like the book? Or, you know, what do you mean you didn't finish? It's okay if you don't finish. It's okay if you don't like it. Uh, the best book discussions are when pe- half the group likes the book and half the group hates the book. Sure. Uh-huh. I'm sure that's true. And you true. just, you have, and it's, what's really so much fun, there's, there's, the main, th- there's two things I really like about book clubs personally. Um, one is you read things you wouldn't normally read. And you think, oh, I'm not going to like that book. And you read it and you think, wow, I really like that book. In fact, last night's book was basically a Western. And, and several people commented like, I don't like Westerns, but I really like this book. So they can't say that anymore. They can't say they don't like Westerns. There you go. Um, and the other totally fun thing is um, you read, everybody reads the same book and somebody starts waxing eloquent about this book that you just thought was awful. And you're like, God, I wanted to read that book that she read, <laughs> even though you know you read the same book. Um, I think probably the most unique thing about our book clubs is we actually have men, a few men that come to our book clubs. I know they're known as traditionally all-female um, provinces, but um, particularly the nonfiction group, we have several men that come to that. But there were even two guys at our fiction group last night. So, mm-hmm. um, How many people? Oh, it varies a lot. Um, last night was probably 21. Oh, so they're, they're That's the sensible. high end, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, if it's September and an off book, maybe five. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the range. So does someone facilitate the group? Yeah, Brenda and I, Brenda usually does the fiction group. I usually do the other two. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been lovely. Do you have any last uh, words or anything you want to tell us about your future? Oh, well, who knows about the future? Um, <laughs> no idea. Uh, you know, you just I like to keep exploring and keep options open and, you know, keep working on those good habits. There you go. It's been a real pleasure. We've been talking with Joy Vogelsang here today. She's told us about Kona stories and really how to have a very uh, productive life in the corporate world and, and have another career for almost 20 years after that. Yep. Thanks Thanks. so much. Thank you, Holly. KNKRLP 96.1 FM Kohala. Tune in next week. Aloha.